Welcome back. On today's episode of the podcast, we are getting into part two of our two-part editing series. And in our first episode, we were really diving into the creative part of editing, because I believe in photography, everything that we do has two sides. There is the technical side and the creative side. So our first episode in this series was just looking more at the creative side of Photoshop and the way in which our intent of the creation of our images plays into how we actually use Photoshop. Now in today's episode, we are going to take things deeper and we are going to get technical, my friends. So let's dive in. Hi, I'm Christine Riche, an artist and mentor to photographers around the world. Consider me your interstellar guide on the path to being a better nightscape photographer. In this podcast, we will bring together our artistic right brain and technical left brain by exploring creativity, art, and inspiration in photography, as well as diving into technique, gear, and strategy necessary to elevate your craft and photographic practice. I am so happy to be a part of your Milky Way journey. This is the After Dark Photography Podcast. Editing, my friend, editing. Photoshop is sometimes a word that I think would come up in modern day ghost stories, you know, where people are shivering with fear after someone says, oh no, he spent 15 hours editing the image in Photoshop only to realize back on hour two, he deleted a part of the dark horse in the Milky Way and he can't get it back and had to start all over again. You know, like that should make us shiver in fear. And that's kind of how I feel like we think about Photoshop sometimes because it is a big and complex program. And when we start to use it, it just feels really overwhelming. It feels really frustrating. It feels like maybe I want to just throw my computer out the window instead of actually learning this program and moving forward with it. So if you have listened to the first in the two-part series, this is the second, we talked about the creative piece. And I believe that it is so, so important to have that idea and intention behind what we're creating before we even get into Photoshop, the program. Now, once we get into the program, we need to know some basic fundamentals. And that's what I want to talk about with you today. I will say, if you are listening to this in the real-time release or shortly thereafter, you will be able to get into my free training. I do this every year. This is my third year running, and it is called Photoshop Roadmap for Milky Way Photographers. The idea behind this training was really... (laughs) I had students in the Milky Way Masterclass learning how to photograph the Milky Way. And then they're like, okay, we did what you said, Christine. We got a really good single photo, but now I want more. And to get more, it's Photoshop. And what I realized is that people just kind of shut down when you said the word Photoshop. And maybe this is you listening. Maybe you have thought about 
using Photoshop before and it seems really overwhelming and scary. Or maybe you are using Photoshop, but you're not 100% certain if you're using it in the way in which you're supposed to. So what I put together was a training to allow people to get started in Photoshop under the umbrella of Milky Way photography, because there are specific ways that we use Photoshop that's a little bit different from other photographers. So today's episode is kind of taking the ideas behind the technical and bringing it to you in this particular format. And we are going to go from the range of what are our images actually supposed to look like and how do we decide what we think that is, to the different ways in which we create those images and how that will affect the way that we use Photoshop, and then into actually some of these really foundational principles of Photoshop. That's what we're going to get into today in the podcast episode, and that's what we go even farther in depth into inside the free training. So If you want to sign up for that, you can go to christinerosephotography.com forward slash Photoshop roadmap. That will be linked up in the show notes here on the podcast. And we go in depth even more there. So where I want to start today, I want to start with what is the secret to editing a good Milky Way photo? Well, the secret is, a matter of fact, pretty much just like any other photo in Photoshop. The thing I want to preface with is that Photoshop is actually a very big program. One would think, based on the fact that it is called Photoshop, that it would be just about photos, right? Yeah, that's not the case though. It's used for so many things other than editing photos, which is something we talk about in the training coming up. But because of that, there's a lot of features and functionality inside the program as a photographer, we're never going to use. I have a background in design as well as photography. I actually have a degree in design in addition to a degree in photography. And I worked for over a decade as a product designer. And you know what? I used Photoshop daily in that job, not just for editing photos. It was also for putting together packages, for doing product mock-ups, for doing so many different things. So when we start to think about Photoshop specifically for us as photographers, it narrows down a lot of things, fortunately. And then we have to actually think about, well, okay, as Milky Way photographers, what are the specific ways in which we use Photoshop that are a little bit different? So the secret here, well, the secret is that there's not really a secret. It's the same thing that we do for most photos. First up, we need a proper white balance. So getting the correct white balance allows the tones in our image to actually show through and to not have a color cast over everything. When you have a color cast over everything, what happens is that you are going to get images that just lack any pop. 
Like everything blends into one another. There's nothing in the image that seems to come off the page at you. And this goes for not only the Milky Way itself up in the sky, but also everything that's in your foreground. If you have a color cast over all of your image, all of your image will blend with each other. So getting the proper white balance is the most important thing to start with. And frankly, that's the most important thing in photography. When you are looking at your image, the first thing is your white balance. Unless, of course, you've really, really messed up your exposure or something like that. But in general, that's your white balance. I remember being at NASCAD University and we had the Hope Color processor. And it was a big deal when you got to go and move up to using the color processor from the black and white. So you would start, we started all of us in the black and white dark rooms. And then it's like, oh, I get to take the color class now. I took the class with Susan McEachern. She's a fantastic professor who I got to catch up with actually um, at a reunion this summer, which was fantastic. And in the color processing, it's very, very fun because you're doing it in complete darkness. Like in a black and white dark room, you have the red light on because the red light doesn't affect the black and white. But all light affects when you're processing for color. So you're doing everything in the dark, but then you go and you run your prints through. So we'd go, you'd wait in line to get into the room, to the processing room. You'd put everything in complete darkness, run it through, and then you bring it out. You stand out in the hallway and you look at the image and you're like, okay, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? And the first place that you would go is the color. And for anyone who's done color printing of their own in a dark room, this is going to be a familiar thing. It's where you have these colored filters. And so you would have like magenta 5, magenta 10, magenta 15. And you would take those filters and you would put them in front of the photo and then take them away and put it in front and take it away. And what you were doing is looking at the contrast between how does this image look with an additional five points of magenta or without it. And then maybe instead of the magenta, you would go and do the cyan. Um, or maybe you would go and do blue, or maybe you would go and do yellow, whichever color. So you would go back and forth until you see, okay, this looks a little bit better if I'm adding in 10 point cyan. So you do that print, come back out, and then now go through the other filters. And this process was getting your color to be perfect so that all of the elements that are within your image show up on their own. They don't fade into each other. And this is the exact same thing that we need to do with our Milky Way images. The problem with Milky Way images lies in the fact that we have a mixed color balance generally because the sky is going to be a daylight color balance. Sunlight is just daylight is just starlight after all. And when we're photographing the stars, that's starlight. So same thing. It's going to be a daylight white balance generally for our sky. But unless you are in a place with absolutely zero light pollution, the white balance for your foreground is not going to be the same. So that's the first thing. 
And for myself personally, I find it is easier to white balance for the sky versus white balancing for the foreground and then trying to fix the sky after. So I will always white balance for the sky. And then depending on how I've made the image, and we'll talk this, we'll get more into this as the episode goes on, depending on how I've created the image, if it's a single, well, Lightroom and Adobe Camera Raw now have really fantastic masking capabilities that didn't even exist like over a year ago that allows you to do that white balance edit separately. So I will balance for the sky first, and then I will balance for the foreground after. If I photograph these as separate images, then of course I would be white balancing the separate images before I put them together. But that's the first piece. That's the, the quote unquote secret. The first piece is getting that proper white balance. It can be very difficult for uh, people who are just starting out and editing our Milky Way photographs, because we have this kind of thought that it's like, oh, the sky is blue, so the Milky Way should be blue. It's not, but we will talk about that more in depth in the training if you come along on that. Um, the sky is only blue if there is reflected sunlight in the sky. So if you're not shooting at full dark or if you're shooting with moonlight in the sky, then you'll have blue. Otherwise, very, very little places in the sky that actually have blue in them. The next piece to this, the next secret to getting perfect edited Milky Way photos, and I say perfect, but like, let's just, perfection is a myth here. Getting images that represent what you are trying to put across. The next secret is correcting the luminosity and tonality range of your image. That's it. (laughs) Getting your exposure correct. Now, hopefully this has been done before taking the photo. A myth that comes up a lot is that Photoshop is used to fix things. Photoshop is not used to fix things. We should be creating our images with Photoshop and what we're going to do to our images in Photoshop in mind. So we should be paying attention to things like our histogram in camera. We should be paying attention to our framing, to our exposure levels. All of those kinds of things should be thought about before we get to Photoshop. Photoshop is not a magic fix, though sometimes there are things you can do to help it along. Photoshop is instead just the tool that we use with good raw data to put together our image. So once we have a correct white balance, then it is taking and tweaking that exposure to show us what we want to see in the image. So really it's about editing the image so that it depicts what the artist had in mind. So what was in your brain when you created this? What was your experience and how do you want to put that across? And of course, that goes back to our first episode that we had in this two-part series, so we won't go crazy in depth into that. But let's think of it this way, like, let's say it's a foggy day. So it's a foggy day and I'm photographing one of the bridges downtown, um, or you're photographing, I don't know, you're some famous bridge like in Seattle or something like that. Um, You're photographing a bridge and it's got the fog rolling in off the water and it's almost, it's like ghostly, right? The way that the bridge is coming up out of the fog. That image, the luminosity of it, the tonality of it, it's going to be muted. It's going to have a low contrast because that's what we expect of that. You're not going to push the contrast up high and want to have crazy saturated colors and detail and all of that. That's not what that image is calling for. So it comes with understanding what exactly do we want 
to show in our image. When we get to the night sky, here's the thing with the night sky. The light from the stars is coming to us from thousands of light years away, tens of thousands of light years away, really, really far, real far away. And what happens when light comes at us from really far away? Well, let's take it to something that most people will understand, even if, you know, they've never photographed the stars before. People have taken pictures before, and it's there's things that were really far away in the pictures. Like, um, you know, I took a photo, it has a landscape, and way in the back, there's mountains. Those mountains are a lot less clear than the things that are close to us. There's this atmospheric disturbance in between us and the mountains. So the farther away that that light is traveling, the less contrast and clarity it has. Now that's here on Earth with uh, mountains that are, I don't know how far away, like how many miles are they away, versus stars that are inside our universe, but not our solar system, maybe not even our galaxy, depending on where we're looking at and how far we're shooting and what's in it. And they're coming from so far away. So it makes sense that that light is not very contrasting. It makes sense that it's going to be pretty gray, that it's come very far to reach and be captured by our camera sensors, which can we just like for a moment, like real talk here, how freaking cool is that? Very, very cool. I think so, at least. And I think by virtue of the fact that you're here listening, you agree as well. So since that light is coming from so dang far away, you know what it needs? It needs some good contrast. That's what it needs. It needs contrast. And this is in the training, we're going to illustrate this so you can actually see this. But so often, the thing that I hear from people is, oh, well, you're photoshopping that. That's not true. So on and so forth. And it's like, you know what? You would want a little bit of Photoshop too. If I had to travel tens of thousands of light years just to get to you, I'm going to need a little bit of sprucing up as well. Okay. So our sky needs a lot of contrast added. But now we have our foreground. And that foreground is not traveling light years. The light that's bouncing off of the foreground is not traveling light years to get to our camera. No, it is traveling a few feet to get to our camera, maybe a couple kilometers or miles, depending on what it is exactly that you're shooting. But in general, our foreground needs to be treated differently than our sky. And this is where Photoshop comes into play. And this is the whole darn reason that we end up using Photoshop. It's because when we are creating our images, the way that we photograph the sky, edit the sky, is generally going to be different than the way that we photograph the foreground and edit the foreground. But then we take those two images and we put them together in Photoshop and it gives a different representation of our experience. And it's the culmination of the technology being able to create something that we've experienced in a variety of ways, but putting it all together, which is just so, so cool. So basically, think of it like this. When we are 
taking our images. I'm going to start with just a single image for the night sky. We are exposing for the sky. Now, this might be a different way than you've thought about it before. When we're exposing for the sky, and we're in a place that's truly dark, that sky is actually our light source, right? Because if we're in a place where there's no light pollution, and there's no local light pollution around, there's not a lot of ambient light pollution nearby, the sky, those stars up in the sky are actually our light source. Now, what happens when you are taking an image this is just photography in general. This is like photo 101 and talking about dynamic range. What happens when you are photographing an image and you are exposing for the light source in that image? What happens to your foreground? Your foreground is dark, right? Think of it this way. Think of taking a sunset photo and you're shooting towards the sun. Let's say it's a beach sunset because it's like it's my favorite place to be. Can I be at the beach while the sun is setting? That's all I want in life. So we're at the beach. The sun is setting. Point your camera towards the sun and you want to expose for the sun because you're getting some just beautiful golden hues all around it. So you expose for the sun. Now let's say Jazz, my dog, my black lab, just in case you don't know, I know most people do, but just in case, she's laying with a stick on the beach. She's in the frame. But I'm exposing for the sun because I don't want the sun to be blown out. I want the sun to have those beautiful golden hues. Well, you know what? Jazz and the beach are one in the same. You cannot tell in that image that there is a black dog lying on white sand. There's a fair amount of contrast in that scene between jazz and the sand. It's hard to do that. But when you are exposing for the light source, everything in the foreground is dark. If you do it the other way and you expose for the foreground, all of a sudden, we know what happens to that sunset, don't we? It's blown out. You don't have any color. You don't have any detail. It's the exact same thing with Milky Way photography. Exact same thing. When we are exposing for the Milky Way, for the stars, we are exposing for the light source. Therefore, our foreground is underexposed. So how do we then get detail and contrast in the foreground? Well, one of two ways basically. The first way is to have like an amazingly good low light sensor. I'm talking like the Sony a7S III, you know, like just so good. You can pull apart those files. They have a crazy dynamic range. And then pairing that with a wide angle, really fast lens. Now that's going to be an expensive combination, you know, to get that full frame really good low light sensor plus wide angle lens with a really fast aperture, that's going to be a lot of money to purchase that. So that is the way number one. And even then, you may not get the level of clarity that you want in your foreground just from taking a single image. So the next way to do it is we need to add light. So we need to add light to our foreground. And I will just before we get into th these nitty gritty bits here, I will say episode 13 is all about light. I go in, I'm going to talk about a few things in this episode here, but in episode 13, like I go in crazy, crazy in depth. So if you haven't had a chance um, after this one, do a little uh, After Dark Photography podcast marathon, go back and listen to episode 13 as well. So how do we add in that light? Well, we add in light in 
basically one of two ways. We have natural light or we have artificial light. Natural light is going to mean we have to take two photos. We have to take two photos. If we want to have really great clarity in the Milky Way and have a proper exposure for the, for the foreground, those are two separate photos. Once we get into two separate photos, that's Photoshop. You no longer, you're outside of the realm of Lightroom or Adobe Camera Raw because they can only deal with single images, except for doing things like panoramics. They can merge panoramics and they can merge HDR, but that is not what we're doing here. This is not an HDR photo. The range here is very large and, and Photoshop won't, or Adobe Camera Raw rather, and Lightroom will not put together an HDR uh, with the range that we would do for the sky versus the foreground. So we need to do at least two images when we are using natural light. Now we also have the ability to add artificial light. So that's with light painting. There is the possibility you can do this in just one frame, in which case you don't have to go into Photoshop. You can go in to um, just Adobe Camera or Lightroom instead to edit your file. I will say for the most part, unless you're like really, really good at light painting, you're probably going to need a couple frames for it. So you will end up um, using a couple different images that you put together in Photoshop. And when we talk about artificial light and light painting, again, episode 13 goes into this more in depth, but there are different ways to do it. You can use a flashlight, you can use um, LED lights that are a constant light. Those can sometimes be set up if you have enough of them and you have enough people and you can kind of get all of your pieces in place. Uh, those can sometimes be set up in for singles in a really nice way. Uh, but again, often you end up taking multiple images and putting them together. So when we're adding this artificial light, so flashlights or LEDs, or even potentially using off-camera flash, strobes, that type of thing. I don't generally do that because the intensity and quantity of the light is too high. But adding in this light with artificial lighting, again, for the most part, you're going to be photographing the sky and then photographing your foreground separately and then putting things together inside of Photoshop. This is where that next step comes into play and this is where we start to use Photoshop. We don't always have to use Photoshop. If you've been following along on this, you know, I basically said we can shoot single frames and we can edit single frames inside of Adobe Camera Raw and Lightroom. When we want to take that ultimate control, that's when we move into Photoshop because we're taking multiple frames to deal with that dynamic range mismatch between the sky and the foreground to give us the flexibility to add light in different ways. So we'll talk more about that in a few moments here, but I want to actually just give you the sort of foundation for how things go together in Photoshop because one of my tenants of Okay, you're going to learn Photoshop. This is you need this drilled in your brain is the idea to start with the end in mind. And yes, there, I did a whole episode about this as well. Episode six, by the way, one of the um, first um, drop in the, of episodes when I released the podcast. So if you haven't, that's another really great one to go back and listen to. But uh, Stephen Covey says, begin with the end in mind and bringing this idea to how we create our images and bringing it with the knowledge of how we edit in Photoshop is like, it's going to make everything you do so much 
easier, so much easier. Think of it this way. When you know how you're going to edit your images, creating your images is easy. There's no more of this like throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping something sticks, right? By the way, anyone else do that as a kid? Like that was my favorite thing. I was like, oh, I get to cook spaghetti tonight. I get to take the spaghetti and throw it up against the wall, see if it sticks. And my mom was like, why are there pieces of spaghetti on the wall? And I'm like, because it's ready. Anyways, I can imagine what I would say to my kids doing that now, but I thought it was great when I was a kid. But here's the thing, when we take that approach in photography, we end up wasting a whole bunch of time creating our images at night because we don't know what's going to work afterwards in Photoshop because we don't know how Photoshop works. And then it's all just a mess and, you know, gives us these hours and hours of trying to do stuff. And we didn't actually shoot the images the way we thought we were going to. And then they didn't go together the way we want to in Photoshop and all of the things. So the idea here with this technical piece is that we have to understand the foundational pillars of Photoshop, how we use it as photographers, so that then it comes full circle and we can create the images when we're out shooting that allow us to put them together afterwards. And this is something that I go really, really crazy in depth into inside the free training, which I would love to have you in, by the way. Have I mentioned it already? I, t I just can't scratch my head here. I just can't remember if I have. <laughs> okay, okay, sorry. I appreciate you being here with me on my little side tangents. So to start with the end in mind, we need to know how are we actually going to edit our images in Photoshop? And I have what I call my four pillars of Photoshop layers, selections, masks, and adjustment layers. Layers are basically the different images that we create. Selections are the tool that let us isolate specific sections of those images. Masks are the thing that define what area of the layers are shown or what area of the layers are affected. And then adjustment layers allow us, using the masks, which were created from selections from the specific layer, they allow us to adjust those specific areas. And in doing that, in using our layers, selections, mask, and adjustment layers, we can then put together any image. So now, with these four pillars, we bring it back to how we created the image and what was that intention with the image. So let's talk about natural light. With natural light, we basically have shooting at blue hour or golden hour or sunset, but I prefer blue hour because there's less direct light and less direct shadows, which are harder to blend. Then we have starlight, um, which is always there at night. If you're photographing the Milky Way, you've got starlight, which is awesome. And then moonlight, which you may or may not have. So if the moon is rising or setting during your session, then you get access to moonlight, which is really nice because it's less intense than the light from the setting sun, but it does give you a little bit more directional light, which is fun. So we have these three different ways, basically, that we can use natural light to photograph our foreground. So if we think about this, we are going to shoot the Milky Way, and then we are going to use one of these three different ways of natural light. And it all depends on what you're doing. But for instance, I was just out shooting 
on um, just this past week, actually, a very late season Milky Way probably will be my last. As I'm recording this, new moon is coming up in just like a day, but it's also cloudy and raining for like the next seven days here. So I probably am not going to get another chance to photograph the Milky Way this year. So this was my last likely shoot. And uh, we drove across the province to the westernmost part of Nova Scotia. And the great thing about shooting at this time of year, the not great thing is that the, the Milky Way is only up for a very short period of time. But the great thing is that the Milky Way is up in the sky as soon as it's full dark. So it's really easy to get there just a bit early, like even only needs to be a half hour, but an hour is better, and do a few blue hour foreground shots. And also, side note, we were done shooting by like 9.30 at night. I was like, how are we done shooting 9.30 at night? I'm used to like shooting in 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. It's very nice, very restful. So getting there early and taking a blue hour shot. So that's what we did here. We took a bunch of blue hour photos, which was great because it was super windy and I was like on the edge of a cliff with a 60 foot drop and less than a foot on either side of me kind of thing. I don't want to be doing that in the full dark, you know, like I want to get that photo, but I'd like to do it safely, not with the risk of falling to my death. So doing that during blue hour when I can actually see with my eyes where I'm going way better than doing it in full dark. So shooting at blue hour means we're photographing either before the Milky Way comes up in the evening or we're photographing after the Milky Way um, sets or after we no longer see it because we're getting into dawn. Um, so we're shooting at one side or the other, and it's going to depend on the season. If it's early in the season, you would be shooting the blue hour after you shot the Milky Way. If it's later in the season, you'd be shooting the blue hour before. And when we photograph our blue hour shots, then we have our separate frames for the Milky Way. We put those together as layers in Photoshop. Then we mask out the sky in the blue hour shot so that we can see the sky in the Milky Way in the full night photo. Then we need to do some things to make it look like these two images go together. And this is really important because when we are shooting a blue hour foreground, there are going to be things about that image that look fairly different than how an image at night would be shot. Well, this depends on like, when are you shooting at blue hour? The very start of blue hour? Well, sometimes the longest shutter speed I can get, even with my smallest aperture and shooting at ISO 100 is like 1.6 seconds. Well, this particular evening, last week we were shooting, shooting by the ocean. The ocean has water water moves in a full night exposure, a starlit exposure would be like an eight minute exposure at this place. There's going to be really smooth, smooth water. In a blue hour shot at 1.6 seconds, the water is not going to be smooth. So there are things that you can do, there are techniques that you can do to smooth out that water. There are actually ways that you can shoot it taking multiple images and then stacking those together and using a mean adjustment mode, um, stack mode. There are filters you can use to help um, introduce some motion blur to it in a way that looks plausible. There are things that you can do. There are also things you can do with shooting, like you can use neutral density filters if you have them with you. There are lots of different ways that we can kind of look at this, but it helps to understand what 
does a blue hour photo look like when we put it together in Photoshop with that Milky Way image? What are the mechanics of doing that? And then how do they blend together and what do they look like together? So that's the first one. That's using our blue hour. And we go through the layers, the selections, the mask, the adjustment layers to blend together the image to give us something that is more representative of the experience of being there. Then we're looking at, let's say now, starlight. So we're using starlight for the foreground. I love starlight in a lot of circumstances because it's there and because I find that starlight looks, I think it, it looks the most natural to me, to my eye. I know there are people who would not necessarily agree with that, but to me, it's like, okay, yeah, I've looked at a lot of night photos. I know what how the camera represents data at night and it just like my brain is like yes that's a nice photo a night photo a nice nice night night photo <laughs> so as I like using starlight but there's some instances where starlight's not going to work so like this you go back to our shoot just this past week it was real windy <laughs> we're on the westernmost tip of Nova Scotia at the edge of the um the edge of the land, cliffs dropping down, the ocean pounding, um, the entrance to the Bay of Funday, looking over the Gulf of Mexico, uh, Mexico. I wish, wouldn't that be nice? That would be so warm. Looking over the Gulf of Maine, rather, and the winds are just buffeting us, like just coming in and smacking us. You know what that's not good for? That's not good for a 15 minute exposure. <laughs> the camera is not going to be still. There's going to be too much movement in a 15 minute exposure. So starlight is great for calm nights. But if you have a lot of movement going on, and especially if your camera is going to have a lot of movement, starlight is not a good option. So for us, we didn't use starlight, but there will be times when you can. And let's say instead of photographing at the ocean with really heavy winds, I was shooting a nice, calm, peaceful lake. Here's where some things come into play that we need to think about. And I, I won't go crazy in detail into all of these. There's lots of different things that we can think about in starlight images. But since we're talking Photoshop, I want to get your brain working just a little bit around this. So with the starlit image, let's say we're at the lake, we're photographing the Milky Way, and then we're doing, let's say an eight minute or a 15 minute exposure for our foreground to get more light on. There's maybe um, a beach that's there. There's trees on the other side of the lake. We want to not have these just be dark black. We want to have more detail here. So we're gonna take a longer starlit exposure for them. We put that together in Photoshop. Here's where we're gonna have a bit of a problem. So we do our basic, we bring in our Milky Way photo, we bring in our starlit foreground photo, we bring them in as layers, we put the foreground photo over top, we mask the sky, and then we have the Milky Way showing through, and then underneath we have our foreground with the lake, there's a lot of light on it, we can see the color in the trees, let's say it's the beautiful autumn trees with the changing colors, it's lovely. Now, here's a problem. We had a nice uh, lake, beautiful, calm lake. And what are we going to see in that long starlit foreground shot? We're gonna see the reflection 
of the stars moving over 15 minutes. But then when we look at the sky photo, we are going to see the stars perfectly pinpoint. This is where starting with the end in mind becomes really, really important. Because if you just took those two shots and then you come home and you put them into Photoshop, all of a sudden it's going to be like, huh, this did not work. This does not look good. So now I'm at that link and I photograph the sky and then I photograph the foreground. And I say to myself, okay, I see the foreground and uh, I've, I've got some star trails in there. What can I do? Well, what can I do is I can take multiple frames at a shorter exposure to stack together and reduce noise. And then you can blend that in in Photoshop. You know how things go together in Photoshop. You know how you can select just the area of the reflection, how you can mask in something different. Maybe you didn't do that, but you get home and you realize, ah, darn it, I should have done that. Well, now we can take the Milky Way from the sky. We can flip it. We can put it in the correct place over the foreground. We can mask it and we can use our adjustment layers to get it to blend in. So there are lots of options for how we can use Photoshop and the images that we created to put them together. So then the last one, let's talk about Moonlight. Now Moonlight, theoretically, you could do a single frame. The issue that I take with single frames with Moonlight is that I, it doesn't give me the clarity and contrast that I want in the sky. As soon as the moon comes up over the horizon, and if it's a bigger moon, like if you're talking like a 90% illuminated moon, this is even before it comes up over the horizon. But if we're, let's just say we've got like a little teensy tiny little crescent moon, even that little crescent moon comes up over the horizon, bam, your sky is blue, your contrast in the Milky Way has dropped. And to me, it just doesn't have the overall impact that I want it to. So I would prefer to take my Milky Way photos without moonlight and then take my foreground photos with moonlight and blend them together. And when you're blending them together, it's the same thing. Bring in your two images as layers. Use a selection on your foreground layer to get rid of the, to isolate the sky, then use the mask to get rid of that sky. And then you've got your foreground that's lit by moonlight and then your Milky Way. Now with moonlight, sometimes maybe you want to blend in the source of light, depending on where it's at, depending on how direct it is. There are things that you can do to get the two to blend together better. So there's our natural light in Photoshop. Now let's talk artificial light. With artificial light and light painting, it depends how you're doing it. Are you using a flashlight? Are you using a constant LED light? Are you using flashes or strobes? Are you using a car <laughs> driving by? Yes, I have I've heard stories of people who want, uh, you know, a car has gone by by accident and they're like, that looks really good. And then being like, okay, I'll get the cameras running you to their friend who's there. You get in the car and you drive back and forth, drive up to the top. I'll call you and tell you when it's time to drive down. You know, there are many different ways with which we can light paint. But the one thing that generally happens is that we like some pieces of an image from one photo and some pieces of an image from another photo. So, Photoshop puts those together. We now go from having two frames, one for the sky and one for the foreground, to having multiple. So one frame for the sky and then multiple frames 
for the foreground that you bring in as layers. So maybe instead of having two layers, you have four or five or six or seven or 15 layers, and you're masking in different pieces of the light painting from the different images. The other thing with light painting, and this is, if I'm gonna use light painting, I like to use light painting in addition to a longer exposure frame, whether that's, maybe I shouldn't say longer exposure frame, to a frame where there is more light on the entire scene. And that's what natural light gets you. It gets you more light in your blue hour or more light um, using starlight or using moonlight. It gets you just more light overall on everything versus light painting gets you more light just on wherever the light is painting on and then everything else is really black. So another technique that you can use is to shoot your um, light painted frames. And generally those are gonna be shorter frames. You're gonna be doing make like a 20 or 30 second exposure. Then you also take a frame that's specifically for everything else using, let's say you did it during blue hour, or you're going to use starlight to just get more light on everything. Of course, then Photoshop will put them together. So now you have a base image for your foreground, then you have your light painted frames that you put over top and you mask those and put them together. And there's a variety of ways you can do that. You can use luminosity masks if you want to, you can use hand painting, you can use different selections, all kinds of things that we can do, fun ways that we can put these together. And I hope as I've been going through these that you have been starting to like brainstorm the possibilities of like, oh, here are the different things that I could be creating, the different ways that I could be putting my images together. Because as we understand Photoshop, I know we've been talking a lot about shooting and this is an episode on Photoshop, isn't it? Ha, it all goes together. As we understand Photoshop, all of a sudden, the ways that we can shoot open up. You just, you start to get more of these creative downloads and ideas when you're out there shooting because it's no longer this like, well, what in the heck am I going to do when I get home? How do these go together? How do I represent the idea, the feeling, the intention of my shoot in a way that makes sense? Well, the answer, of course, is we're going to use Photoshop to do that but we have to know how to use Photoshop to do it so that we can create things. It all comes together, it's all this ecosystem. So when I am teaching Milky Way photography, the first thing that I teach is how to create a really good single photo. That's the first most important thing. But once we have that piece in, once we can do a real good single photo, then it starts to get into, well, okay, we're gonna open things up now. We are going to be able to shoot more, to create more, to get more depth, more clarity, more color in our images. And how in the heck do we do that? We do that by taking multiple frames. And how do we put those multiple frames together? We do that in Photoshop. So it all comes back. It all interweaves with each other. When we learn Photoshop, and we learn, and what I focus on is these four pillars. And inside the free training, hey, have I mentioned I'm doing one of those? <laughs> okay, sorry, last time, promise. When we go into this, this free training, I show these things. I'm gonna actually show you examples of this so that you can see 
in real time examples of what this looks like. That is the, the big secret here. You know, like I say, I have things where I'm like, unlock the secrets of Photoshop because I have to come up with headlines that are catchy. And the real secret is we are editing our images just like every other photographer edits their images, except we have specific constraints based on the fact that we are photographing at night and photography is just drawing with light and at night there's a heck of a lot less light. So we have some constraints that we need to work within and then when we move over into Photoshop we just need to get these foundational pieces under us. When we get these foundational pieces down then all of a sudden all these new worlds are opened up to us. These places that you were shooting at before that you just couldn't get an image to look good. Now, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I can do it. Like I did a, a study in lighthouses, and you might have seen one of my images I posted recently was a blue hour blend of a lighthouse. The other thing that I actually did with that blue hour blend is I shot it at night, at full night, and I shot it at some different exposures and I did some stacking. And I put up a comparison inside my masterclass group showing here are the different ways that you can shoot a lighthouse. And a lighthouse is problematic because in any given night photography image, there's a large dynamic range between the sky and the foreground if there's any type of light in the foreground. But when you have a lighthouse, a lighthouse is a really bright light source. It's got to be, we don't want ships to come and crash. So all of a sudden the, the dynamic range is just like, poof, it's so big. So I did an example showing like here's what you can do in a blue hour blend versus here's what happens if you are shooting at full dark and these are the ways that they get edited here's the differences in how they look and when you start to understand about the ways in which you can put images together in Photoshop all of a sudden it opens things up and you can say like you know I've had a really hard time photographing lighthouses for those of us who are coastal because there's so much light from them. And all of a sudden you can be like, well, you know what? I know how to put things together in Photoshop. So I can photograph the lighthouse during blue hour because during blue hour, there's so much more light around that that light from the lighthouse is not as overpowering in terms of the rest of the scene. Then I can photograph the sky later on when it's full dark. If you want to take this even the next step, you can photograph the sky so that it's unobstructed so that you don't have, you're not shooting through the light of the lighthouse and you're able to get a more accurate picture of the sky. And then you can put those together in Photoshop. It's just one very specific, yes, example of how understanding Photoshop and the technical pieces of it will let us create an image that is more to the intention that we had. And so this particular image, this particular lighthouse image, my intention was to convey the feeling of being there. You know, I, I'm there at this lighthouse. I'm seeing it at the edge of of the earth, like literally the westernmost part in Nova Scotia, the edge of this earth, pointing, pouring light out into the sky for sailors who are coming through. And especially, you know, a lighthouse is one of the things I love about photographing them is they are 
useful at night. Like during the day, a lighthouse is just a house that might look cool or might look boxy. But at night, they are these beacons. And for, you know, people who are on ships in the middle of the night, which like, by the way, I just want to like mad props to like fishermen and uh, women and just people who are out at sea at night. Um, during the day with big waves, it's scary enough. Think about that at night. Whew. Anyways, I love seafood. And I love the people who bring me that seafood, but I am glad to not have that job. So this lighthouse is meant to be used at night. So I, I love the creation of images at night, including lighthouses, but it's difficult. So understanding Photoshop is a way that it can then be less difficult to get across that image and the feeling of the image in the way that I want it. And that's really what this is all about. It's going back to the first episode in this two-part series, which is understanding the intent of our imagery, the intentions with how we are creating our artwork. And then with the actual technology to do it. And when we understand that technology, how does that change the ways in which we actually go out and capture the images? When you have all of that and you put it all together, it's just this beautiful culmination. And it's what gets us those images that people want to stop and spend time with. That people look at that and they say things like, this image brings me a feeling of peace or of joy or calm or whatever it is that you are trying to convey in your photographs. And that ultimately is what Photoshop does for us. It's just a tool that lets us create what's inside our brains and bring it out into the world, which is, yeah, pretty darn cool, wouldn't you say? So my friend, thank you for coming along with me on this little editing journey. I would love to know what you think about using Photoshop. I know that we have people who are at different places in their their Milky Way journey, which includes editing. And so we have some people who have never opened up Photoshop before. And then we have some people who have used Photoshop for a while, but not in the very specific way that we do as night photographers, where we're considering the differences in contrast and luminosity and tonality of the sky versus the foreground. So we have people at many different levels, and I'm interested to hear from you where you're at with Photoshop and how it how it kind of comes into your workflow. Like, when do you actually think about using Photoshop? Hopefully, after this episode, you will think about Photoshop when you're out there shooting and creating the images, because it will make your life that much easier when you're actually back typing away at the computer, doing the work. Okay, thank you so much for coming along with me here. And if you want to, um, on the show notes page, afterdarkphotographypodcast.com, you will see there is a link to the sign up if you're listening to this before we get started on November 1st, 2022. We get started with the training. I do this training once a year only. Um, 
it is basically my off-season project. So I do this training once a year, so you can get into it um, if you're listening to this live or close to live. And the link will be on the show notes page or go to uh, christinerosephotography.com forward slash Photoshop roadmap. Uh, Christine is with a K by the way. Uh, And that will get you into it. I would love to see you there. It's always a blast going through this training. And I also will get to show you visuals that go with the audio that we've heard today. And that's a really powerful way that you can learn and take this to the next step and take it deeper. And of course, with all of my free trainings, they are delivered live, which is super fun. I love it. I love getting to hang out and I hang out at the end and answer questions for as long as people have them to ask me. So if you have some burning questions, uh, this is the way to get them answered. Okay, thank you so much. And I look forward to talking to you again on the next episode of the After Dark Photography Podcast.